John Cannon and the Congregation of Victory Church welcome you to this message from the Word of God. It is our heartfelt desire to see you grow closer to the Lord and to help you become all that He has created you to be. Our prayer is that through this ministry you would come to know Him in a greater way and that these teachings from Scripture would better equip you to fulfill His plan in your life. Now, let's join Pastor John as we study the Word together. Good to see you today. Let's just, let's just begin our, our time together in God's Word with prayer. And let's just ask God to open our hearts and, and our minds and to receive what He has for us today through His Word. Okay? Let's pray. Father, we, we love You. Lord, we are so blessed. We're so thankful for all that You did for us. We thank You for coming to this earth and living a sinless life. For 33 and a half years, you walked the face of this earth. You faced temptation, yet you did not sin. As a matter of fact, you gave us an example on how we can overcome temptation in our life through your word. We thank you, Lord, for the example that you lived and gave for us. We thank you for the price that you paid for us. By dying on the cross for all of our sins. God, you paid a debt that that we can never pay. Thank you, Lord, for that. Thank you, Lord, for the fulfilled promise of your resurrection. Thank you that after three days, on that first Lord's Day, that first Easter Sunday, you came out of the tomb victorious. And you are alive forevermore. And your word teaches us that right now you are seated Because the job is finished by the right hand of the Father. And there you are making intercession for each and every one of us. And the only way that any of us, myself included, can stand before a holy God is through the righteousness of Jesus Christ being imputed upon us as believers. God, I thank you today that we're able to stand before a holy God in worship And magnify Him because we are clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Christmas certainly was the promise. But Easter's the proof that you are who you said you were, the Son of God. I pray now today that you would open our hearts and our minds and help us, Lord, to receive your word today. And God, if there's one here that does not know you as their Lord and their Savior, my prayer is today that they would enter into a relationship with you. My prayer is today that they would not seek to get involved in religion, but they would open their hearts, they would ask you to forgive them, they would ask you to come into their life and begin a wonderful relationship with the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Father, I pray your will be done in the remainder of this service. And we'll give you the honor and the glory, for it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Take out your Bibles, if you will, please. And today, we are going to be looking at two passages of Scripture. I'm going to begin with Luke chapter 24. And I want to read the first nine verses in Luke chapter number 24. And then we're going to move over to the book of Acts. 
and we're going to look in Acts chapter number 9, and we're going to impact or unpack a few little things there about the Apostle Paul and the conversion of Saul, which became the, the Apostle Paul. Today is the conclusion of a mini-series that I've been preaching here over the last couple of weeks about countercultural Christianity. In the last two Sundays, I have shared with you seven different principles of a countercultural believer, a countercultural church. Now, whenever I say countercultural, once again, remember, I am not talking about a church or a body of believers going the opposite direction that the world is going. That should be a given. That is without being said. Certainly, that's what we should be doing. Because, you see, whenever I accepted Christ as my Savior, I became a new person. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things became new in the person of Jesus Christ when I accepted Him. So, obviously, it goes without being without being said that I changed the way I was living. I changed the way I was going. That's what repentance is all about. It's a 180 degree turn from the direction that we were going and now we are following after Christ. So whenever I talk about being countercultural, I'm not necessarily talking about the church going the opposite direction of the world because that's a given. When I'm talking about countercultural Christianity, I'm talking about the Christian, the believer going counter to the Christian culture of our day where it seems like everybody's a Christian. To the common church of the day where there really is no passion. We just go through the religious motions of the day and the hour. I want to be a, a church. I want to be a believer. I want to be a Christian that's just sick and tired of the status quo of just going to church and going through the motions. Hello? Matter of fact, I've got a couple of definitions for you as we move our way and work our way into this message titled A Countercultural Mission. First of all, countercultural just means a culture with lifestyles and values opposed to those of the established values. Well, what does it mean to be a countercultural community? A couple of things here it means. First of all, we are a people, listen to this, who are tired of living the predictable. Amen? Don't you get tired of just living the predictable? Don't you just get tired of going to church and say, well, we're just going to go through the same thing today? And, and we kind of, the average Christian lives with that status quo of just going through the, the motions and just kind of living with the predictable. But a countercultural believer is one that's not settling for the status quo. It's not settling for the predictable. As a matter of fact, we gather together and we expect to encounter the miraculous. By the way, for those that don't know me, when I pull my ear, I'm looking for an amen. And it's okay to say amen, all right? I like it when you talk back at me. That's okay. And my kids can't get by with that, but you can get by with that here when I preach, all right? Listen, whenever we gather together as a community of believers, we should expect God to move. We should expect the miraculous. We should expect our prayers to be answered. We should expect God to move in our families. We should expect God to move in our churches. We should expect God to meet all of our needs according to His riches and glory. Hello? I mean, that's Bible. But unfortunately, we kind of settle in for the status quo of Christianity. A countercultural community, community is also a people who are tired of living the same old life. A countercultural community of people are people that long for Jesus to set them on fire for God. 
A couple of weeks ago, I used the term radical. A couple of weeks ago, I used the term fanatical. What's wrong with being a fan for Jesus? What's wrong with that? What's wrong with being fanatic for Christ? Now, I'm not talking about off-the-wall theology and, 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 and disorder, and, and I, but I'm talking about being, being theologically sound, being conservative in our, in our theology and the doctrine of the Word of God. Yes, this Bible, the Word of God, is our final authority, and we're not going to do anything that is not in, found written in the Word of God. This is the final authority in all of love. But what I'm talking about is just simply being sick and tired of settling in for the status quo and going through the motions. As I shared with you a couple of weeks ago, I'm 46 years old. And I don't plan on retiring. A lot of people ask me, when are you going to retire? Have you got a retirement plan? i got a little thing over at Edward Jones and i got a little something in there, a little money market. But listen, I'm not expecting to retire. I hope and pray that I can preach and pastor until I die. Amen. Now, when I'm not physically able to do the job or mentally able to do the job, I may have to step aside, but I have no plans of retiring until Jesus takes me home. Hello? So what I'm saying is I've got, I'm 46 years old. I hope and pray that when I'm, when I'm 92, sister, I hope when I'm 92, you may have to pull a chair up here for me, but I hope I can sit in a chair and still preach the Word of God if I'm alive. But if I preach till I'm 92, some mathematicians help me out here. I'm 46. How many years do I have? 46? Wow, how about that? 46. Okay, I got 46 more years. You know what I don't want to do? I don't want to go through the motion for 46 more years if I'm able to preach when I'm 92. I don't want to just come to church and go through the motions. I don't want to just do the religious thing. Man, I want to be on fire for Jesus. I want to be a radical for Him. I, want to, I, want to love, I don't want to be ashamed of Him. He did so much for me. I want to tell the world what He's done for me. I want to help families raise their children. As I sat and talked with Zane and Kim this week, I want to come alongside them. I want our church to come alongside them and help them in raising baby Zoe. Giving them spiritual insight and guidance from the Word of God. Amen? We need that. We need to be coming alongside families. And boy, I tell you, I just don't want to go through the motions any longer. You know who were some countercultural believers? It, were the, it was the disciples and the apostles after the resurrection. You see, on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter number 2, the Holy Spirit of God fell on these believers. And their life changed on the day of Pentecost. Why? Because from that moment on, their life was lived in the power of the resurrection. They lived in the power of the resurrection. Now, I told you we're going to start in Luke 24. Jump over in Luke 24 real quickly with me. Luke chapter 24. We're going to look at verses 1 through 9. I'm going to jump out of that into some other passages of Scripture, mostly in the book of Acts. We're going to conclude back in Luke chapter 24 and wrap this story up. In Luke chapter 24, in verse number 1, it says, On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they came to the tomb bringing the spices they had prepared. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. They went in but did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And while they were perplexed about this, suddenly two men stood by them in dazzling clothing. So the women were terrified and bowed down to the ground. Why are you looking for the living among the dead? asked the men. He is not here. Boy, here's the declaration. He is not here for he has been resurrected. Remember how he spoke to you when he was still in Galilee saying... 
that the Son of Man must be betrayed into the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and rise on the third day. And they remembered his words. Returning from the tomb, they reported all these things to the eleven and to the rest. Let's call a timeout right there in our scripture. You know what transpired from that moment on? A counter-cultural community of believers. From that moment on, there was a counter-cultural mission being engaged through the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, question, were there religious people in this day? Sure there were. Were there people holding to religious values? Yes. But one thing you must understand, whenever Jesus came and lived a sinless life and died on the cross for our sins and was buried and rose again, something changed in the religious atmosphere of the day. You see, because now no longer was it trying to fulfill and live out the law of God through religious activities. Now it was all about having an intimate relationship with Him, with the Lord Jesus Christ. And now we have these disciples, now we have these apostles, now we have these individuals that now we're being influenced by the power of the resurrection. Friends, let me ask you a question. Is your life influenced at all by the power of the resurrection? Or is it just another day of the year that we get to go buy a couple of new clothing out or clothing outfits? Is it just another day on the calendar? Is it just another day when we come and we celebrate and we go through the motion? You see, church, listen, our lives should be impacted by the power of the resurrection. We should not no longer be the same. Something should take place whenever we realize that we serve a risen Savior. Hello? Their lives were impacted and they became a countercultural community of believers and they were now fulfilling a countercultural mission. I think about the Apostle Paul. You think about the Apostle Paul over in the book of Philippians chapter 3 and verse number 10. You know what his desire was? He said, all my goal is to know him and the power of his resurrection. I ask the question, Paul, did you not know who Jesus was? Don't you think he met the Lord on the road to Damascus? We're going to go there in just a moment. Yes, he had already met the Lord. He had already been saved. He had already been converted. God had already gotten a hold of his heart. But while now he is a believer following after Jesus, he had this desire within him that he would know more and more about the power of the resurrection that's available to every believer. You see, church, we don't have to be a powerless church. You don't have to be a powerless believer. You don't have to be a powerless Christian because the Bible tells us in the books of Acts that we can be endued with power. It's the Greek word dunamis. It's where we get our English word dynamite. Listen, there's dynamite within every single one of us. But the problem is our wood is so wet, there's no ember, there's no flame, there's nothing to set the dynamite on fire. Why? Because we're settling for the status quo. Oh, God has so much more in store for you than that. And I hope and pray that I can help enlighten you and let you see a little bit more of what God has in store for every one of us as believers. You see, because of the resurrection now, these believers, these disciples, 
These Christ followers, they were transformed. They were now powerful. They are now courageous. And it's all because of the power of the resurrection. Much talk has already been mentioned about Peter. But do you remember Peter before the resurrection? You remember how he was following from afar off? Not really wanting to be identified with that man they called Jesus, but I'll just follow from a distance. You see, guys, there's a lot of believers that are like that. Oh, I believe in Jesus. I trust in Jesus. Yeah, He's my Savior. But I don't know that I really want to go that far. Not really sure I want to be seen with Him. Not really sure I want to be identified as a believer. So we follow from a distance. You see, that's what Peter was doing. Amen? And he wound up denying our Lord three times as a result of that. You see, guys, whenever you have a fire that's burning and you take one ember and you set it aside, you still have the fire that's glowing and burning, but it's only a period of time till what happens. This ember goes out. It's no longer on fire. You see, that's the status quo Christianity. I'm more concerned about this fire stuff. I want us to stay in the middle of it. And here we see because of the resurrection, they were transformed into powerful, courageous believers. And now we have Peter, as I mentioned a couple weeks ago, standing and preaching that, that very courageous, bold message. And thousands were saved and born again into the family of God. They are now filled with the power and they're unashamed to, to claim Jesus as their Savior. And they're not ashamed of their faith. They had a countercultural lifestyle that was contagious. And everybody wanted to be a part of it. Thousands wanted to be a part of that. So let me try to share with you over in Acts chapter number 9. Let me show you, as a result of the resurrection, I want you to look at this countercultural mission. Look, if you will, please, in Acts chapter number 9. Acts chapter number 9 is where we're going to be unpacking a little bit of Scripture here about Saul of Tarsus and how he became the great Apostle Paul. Now, something you need to understand about Saul of Tarsus in Acts chapter number 9. Saul of Tarsus in Acts 9 was somewhat like the, the Osama bin Laden of our day. In other words, he was so fanatical about his old religion that he was now persecuting the church of Jesus Christ, these new believers, and the Bible tells us that he was killing many of them, having them stoned, having them put to death, trying to put out the fire of Christianity that was taking place because of the power of the resurrection. Now, I don't know about you, but in Acts chapter 9, Saul meets Jesus on the road to Damascus. And he becomes a powerful vessel in the hands of God in this countercultural mission. But friends, I don't know about you, but if I'm out there picking individuals that I want to carry the gospel for me, I don't know that I would have picked Saul. Would you? I mean, he definitely would have not been on my radar for an individual that I'm going to deal with and teach and train and equip to take the gospel and spread it around the, around the world. But God used him. Matter of fact, we do learn that Saul became the great Apostle Paul who we contribute most of the New Testament as a writer of. I mean, he gave us much of the Word of God. He laid down the foundation for Christian theology. He changed the mission of the church from just the Jews to include the Gentiles. And there was a whole counter-cultural mission that, that was involved now in his life all because he met Jesus. You see where we're going with this? 
And it's all a result of the power of the resurrection. And I want us as Victory Church and us as believers, I want us to embrace this idea of being a counter-cultural community of believers, a counter-cultural mission that we're involved in. We're not settling for the status quo of Christianity or just going through the motion in our religious activities. We want to be on fire for God. Amen. Amen. And be used by God. Well, let me share with you real quickly four different elements if you will, of a countercultural mission. And here we're going to see these four elements of how God works in a countercultural mission. First of all, the work of God is restorative. I want you to write that down. On the back of your worship folder, your bulletin, there's a place you can take some notes. I want you to write down this word restorative. The work of God is restorative. In Acts chapter 9 and verse 1, it says, Meanwhile, Saul still breathing any threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and requested letters from him to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any who belonged to the way. Now, what is the way? Remember, Jesus said, I am what? The way, the truth, and the life. If there's any belonging to this man, Jesus, if there are any that are in the way, whether they're men or women, he might bring them in as prisoners to Jerusalem. And as he traveled, he was near in Damascus, and a light from heaven suddenly flashed around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Thank God for the call of God on our lives. You see, there was a day when I was going my way, contrary to the way of God, and God said, John, John, what are you doing? Thank God for that call. Amen? Every time I read this, I can't help think about my personal call. When God called out my name. Amen? Hopefully you think about the day He called out your name. And if you're here today and He's never called out your name, just let me tell you, He's calling you today. Just as He called Saul. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Look at the reply in verse 5. Who are you, Lord? He said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. He replied, but get up and go into the city and you'll be told what you must do. Then the men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the sound, but seeing no one. And when Saul got up from the ground, though his eyes were open, he could see nothing. And so they took him by the hand and led him into Damascus. And he was unable to see for three days. And he did not eat or drink. You see what took place here in this countercultural mission? First of all, the work of God is restorative. Here is a man that was afar from God. Here is a man that was persecuting the church. Here was a man that were bringing believers that were in the way of Jesus and having them thrown into prison and then eventually having them stoned to death and killed. And you know what God does? God says, I am going to restore that individual. The work of God is restorative. You see, God is not a destructive God. He's not out to ruin your life. He's not trying to destroy you. He wants to restore you. And that's the beautiful plan of the gospel of Jesus. It's the redemptive plan of God where He wants to redeem every single one of us and restore us into a right relationship with him, somebody say amen. amen. Romans chapter 10 and verse number 9 says, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Amen? And that word saved just simply means to restore to the original purpose or intent in which we were created. In other words, that we are in a right relationship with God. You see... 
God is not a God of condemnation. He doesn't want to destroy you. He wants to restore you. Yeah, I don't know where you've been in life, and I don't know what you've done. And I don't know what you're involved in or what you may have been involved in. But you know what? It doesn't really matter. Because today is a new day. And all God wants you to do is come to Him. And He will restore you. And you could be part of this countercultural mission. You see, God has a crazy, crazy love for you. Amen? You see, the book of Romans tells us that God loves us. And there's nothing that we'll ever do to make Him love us more. And there's nothing that we'll ever do to cause Him to love us less. He has a crazy love for you. You know what it's called? It's called grace. I want you to watch this short video. Grace is God. Grace is God's unmerited favor for us, His crazy love. And the truth is, many times we struggle understanding it. If you find yourself struggling to understand God's grace, don't beat yourself up. Even the disciples struggled with understanding grace. Jesus said, you, you're alive. I can't believe you're alive. Okay, I was in the boat, and I wasn't catching any fish, okay? But I heard this voice, and the voice said, cast your net to the other side. And so I'm thinking, I'm a fisherman. I know what I'm doing, but I'm not catching any fish, you know? And so I throw that net over there, and then a gaggle of fish pop into that net, and I'm going, this is a total miracle. Who could have done that? I need to know who told me to throw the net to the other side. And boom, I look up, and I mean, there is you. You're looking at me on the seashore going, it is I, the Lord. And you're alive. I can't believe you're alive. This is awesome. Andrew, get out of the boat. Come on. Peter, yeah. Do you love me? Yes, I love you. I love you. You're alive. This is so great. Good. Then feed my sheep. Andrew, get out of the boat. Come on, man. It's him. Peter. Yeah. Do you love me? I love you. Yes. And I'm so sorry about that rooster clucking. I had no idea what that meant, but I do now. I'm better for it. All right. Okay. Then feed my sheep. Andrew, I'm smiling, but I'm serious. Come on, get out of the boat. It's him. Peter. Yeah. Do you love me? Jesus, mere words cannot describe the passion that I have for you. I love you. You know everything. I love you. Good. Good. Then feed my sheep. I didn't even know you had livestock. That is so like you, though. There's something new about you all the time. That's what I love about you. Peter, yeah. do you remember uh, the morning the ladies went to the tomb? Yeah, 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 yeah. We're all in the upper room trying to figure out what to do next, you know, because we thought you were dead. You know, you were dead, you know, and we're trying to figure all that out, you know. And Mary comes running up, and Mary's like saying, beehive, beehive, beehive. And I'm thinking, I'm allergic to bees. Like, keep them out. You know what I'm saying? But as she kept getting closer, I heard her correctly. She was saying, he's alive, he's alive, he's alive. And we're going, who's alive, who's alive? And she said, she was at the tomb, and the tomb was empty. And she said that there was an angel there. And the angel said, go tell the disciples and Peter that everything is okay. He is risen. And so me and John, we hightailed it down there. And if John says he beat me, he's totally lying, all right? I beat him, FYI, all right, you know? And we get down there, and I'm looking at that tomb, and it is. It is empty. There's nothing in there, you know what I'm saying? And I'm like, what does this mean? What does this mean? And John is right there. John is so good with words. He should write a book. He is so good with words. And John said, don't you get it, Peter? This is everything Jesus said he was going to do, and you did it, and it's done. Let's go. This is so great. Wait. Yeah. The angel said what? Uh, go tell the disciples and Peter that everything is okay. He is risen. You've risen. Let's go. This he is said okay. what? Go tell the disciples and Peter. Go tell the disciples and Peter. You said my name. Why did you say my name? 
Peter, that's grace. No, no, I don't, I don't deserve that because that night people kept coming up to me asking me if I belonged to you, if I was with you, and I kept denying you left and right, all right? No, it'll take me my whole life to make up for what I did. It was unforgivable for no, what I did. No, What I did on the cross was meant to take what is unforgivable and make it forgivable. That's my grace. It's not about you. It's always about me. That's grace, Peter. Amen. Huh? Give the Lord offering right there. Praise the Lord for that. See, guys, it's not about you. It's all about what he did. And you know, just as he called Peter's name, he's calling your name today. And God's work is restorative. And he wants to restore you into a right relationship with him. And all you've got to do is say, yes, Lord. Forgive me. Yes, Lord. He's calling your name today. The second thing we see about the work of God is not only is it restorative, but secondly, it's relational. I want you to look in, in verses, nine and, or verses 10 and 11 of Acts chapter number 9. This is after Saul had met Jesus there on the road to Damascus. He's blinded now. He now is a believer. And look what it says in verse number 10 and 11. Now in Damascus there was a disciple named Ananias. And the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, here I am, Lord, he said. Get up and go to the street called Straight. And the Lord said to him, to the house of Judas, and ask for a, na- a man from Tarsus named Saul, since he is praying there. Let me ask you a question. Just as soon as Saul was converted, he still blinded, the Lord led him where? Where did he lead him to? Where did he lead him to? To this house. This house of believers. Whose house did he lead him? To the house of Judas. And there were a a group of believers. And and what does the Bible tell us in verse number 11 that Saul was doing there? What does it tell us he was doing? Put, Put verse number 11 back up on the screen. What does it say he was doing there? He was praying. You know exactly what took place as soon as Saul of Tarsus became a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ? You know exactly what took place? He sent him to a house of believers And there he was encouraged, there he was discipled, there he was praying among these group of believers. You see what God did? He said, Saul, as soon as you accept me, and he did, he was blinded, but he led him to a community of faith, to a house by a man, to a man by the name of Judas, and he left him there for a while. And then, of course, Ananias came to him. You see, guys, there's something that we must fight in our culture. To be counter-cultural, there's one thing that we must intentionally fight against. And it's individualism and isolationism. We must fight against that. Because you see, the world tells us today that you don't need anybody. Matter of fact, there's books on, on positive thinking out there. And it just says all you got to do is think positive. Now, I understand there is a right process in thinking, but let's be sure it's a biblical process. It's not some humanistic process. And we got to understand there's, there's theologies out there. There's teachings that are out there, I should say, that just say, you know what? All you got to do is just pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Be your own person. Be your own man. 
You don't need anybody. You make the decisions in life. Go your own way. Do your own thing. Especially in this generation of postmodernism where there really is no moral absolute. There's nothing really right. There's nothing really wrong. Whatever's right for you is right for you. Whatever's right for me is right for me. I mean, that's the culture we live in today. We must fight against that. And one of the things that we see taking place in Saul's life The moment he met Christ, he went to a community of faith. He went to a community of believers. He went to these individuals, and there he was praying with them. There he was drawing strength from them. Listen, guys, God hasn't called any of us to be spiritual lone rangers. God, in God's redemptive plan, he, don't, he doesn't want you to isolate yourself and get out there and live life by yourself. He wants you to engage in a community of believers and build relationships within a community of believers. We must fight this thing called individualism and think, I can go my own way, I don't need anybody. Yes, you do. You see, because even the Lone Ranger had who? Tonto. Hello? He didn't even live life by himself. And God doesn't want you living life by yourself. You see, I'm really excited about this week. This is the week that we are launching small groups. And I, want, I hope and pray that everybody here will get engaged in one of our small groups. There's sign-up sheets on the back. We have, uh, so we have small groups all over the Metro East area. I mean, literally every, in, in many different cities and towns and areas, there's a place, there's a small group close to you. I was walking around in Mascuta the other day, and I ran across an individual. They don't go to this church. But they said, they said hey, Pastor, said, I heard you're starting small groups at Victory. Uh, yeah, we're starting small groups at Victory. And she said, I don't come to your church, but I would love to go to one of your small groups. Can, can I go to one of your small groups? Yeah, sure. You can come to one of our small groups. We're not going to turn anybody away. Hello? Yeah, you can come to one of our small groups. She said, do you, do you have a small group that meets in Mascuta? And I said, actually, I think we have three or four. And I named off the people that were meeting in Mascuta. She said, do you, do you think they would allow me, even though I don't come to your church, to come to your small Yes. Hello? Guys, you know what? We need to get connected in a small group. We need to get connected so that we can build relationships one with another. One of the first things that happened in Saul's life is God put him in a community of faith, a community of believers, and there he started building relationships with these believers. Now, he had a long way to go, but at least he started there, guys, and that's what we must do. I heard the story of these um, two ladies named Sophie and Shirley. Sophie and Shirley were two elderly women, and they lived down in Florida in an adult community. And there was a new individual that just arrived into the, the adult community. And they thought he would look real lonely, and he was sitting out by the pool one day, and Sophie looked over to Shirley, and she said, "Uh, Sophie, or Shirley said to Sophie, Sophie, you know I'm shy. Why don't you go over and talk to him? He looks lonely and find out about him. Sophie agreed, so later she saw him by the pool. She went over. She said, excuse me, mister, and I hope I'm not prying into your life, but my friend and I are wondering, you look so lonely. He says, of course I'm lonely. I've spent the last 20 years in prison. She said, you're kidding me. What were you in prison for? He said, well, I killed my third wife and I had to go to prison. And she said, well, what happened to your second wife? And he said, well, I accidentally shot her. And he said, what happened to your first wife? Well, we got in an argument on the bridge and she fell off. And about that time, Sophie turns around and says, Shirley, Shirley. You're not going to believe this. 
He's single. <laughs> It'll sink in when you're driving home, okay? The point was, these ladies were lonely. And this man was lonely. And sometimes, listen, sometimes we'll go to extremes to, to feed that hunger of loneliness. Now, I hope you don't go to that extreme. But the point is, we all need people in our life. We need relationships. And we as a church need to be sure that we are, we are setting our vision and our mission in the direction that we allow our congregation to have intimate relationship because the work of God is relational. Hello? Number three, jot this one down. Not only is the work of God restorative, not only is the work of God relational, but the work of God is also revolutionary. What I mean by that, look, if you will, in Acts chapter 9 and verse 22 and 23. It says, But Saul grew more capable and kept confounding the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that this is the one, the Messiah. And many days had passed, and the Jews conspired to kill him. You see, when we have a transforming encounter, when we have a conversion with the Lord Jesus Christ, we will be part of a movement that's countercultural to our society that we live in today. And here we see that Saul, what do we find that he was doing? What does it tell us in Acts chapter 9 and verse 22 and 23 that he was doing? Look what it says. But Saul grew more capable and kept confounding the Jews who lived in Damascus. He was preaching about Jesus. And whenever he did that, many days had passed, and the Jews now were targeting Saul, and they're saying, hey, this guy is a threat. We must conspire to kill him. You see, the Apostle Paul, which was Saul at this moment and this time, he was part of a radical movement that's going contrary to the religious beliefs of that day. There was a revolutionary movement that he was involved in that went contradiction to the, to the religious culture of that day. And that's all part of being missional. That's all part of being in God's, God's plan. That's all part of being a countercultural believer. I just wanted you to see that. Fourth and final one. I'm going to stop with this one. Not only is the work of God restorative, not only is it relational, not only is it revolutionary, and I hope and pray that it has revolutionized your life. Number four, the work of God is missional. Look in, in verse 19 and 20 of Acts chapter 9. Verse 19, And after taking some food, he regained his strength. This is Saul. And Saul was with the disciples in Damascus for some days. And immediately he began proclaiming Jesus in the synagogues that he is the Son of God. What happened to Saul as soon as he encountered Jesus? He went to a community of believers, right? He got connected there with those community of believers. He's part of a revolutionary movement that's transpiring and taking place in that culture. He's going counterculture to the religious institutions of that day. And the fourth thing we see here is that he was missional. What was he doing? He was on mission. What did he do? It says in verse number 20 that immediately he began proclaiming Jesus in the synagogues. Guys, you realize that everyone who comes into community of Jesus Christ, we are two things. We are a missionary and we are an evangelist. I mean, that's what we are. That is our mission. Every single one. You see, a lot of times we live in this, um, we live in this consumer world. And we have this consumer mentality. And we think we come to church and we have the paid professionals on the platform and they're the ones preaching to us and, and they're the ones that are be the missionaries and they're the ones that are be the evangelists and they're the ones that are paid to do that. And, 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 and I tell you, there's some terminology that, that, that I really don't like. And, and it's clergy and, and, and parishioner and parish. 
it seems like there's those that are paid to do this stuff and those that come and sit and watch those that are paid to do this stuff. You realize there's no scripture for that? You realize the Bible says that we're all on a mission together, that every single one of us are missionaries and every single one of us are evangelists? I want you to say that with me. Now, this may be uncomfortable for you, but I want you to say, I am a missionary. Say it. I am a missionary. Now I want you to say, I am an evangelist. Say it. I am an evangelist. What are you? A missionary and an evangelist. What are you? And? Say, I am a... And a... That's what we are, God's All of us together. Not just me as the paid preacher that stands up here and tells us, well, you know you're going to hear it on Sunday morning when I come here. But listen, it needs to be every day of our life we need to be on mission. God has encountered your life. And as a result of the resurrection of Christ, we need to be on mission carrying that gospel to the ends of the earth. Let me share with you one final story. This is a true testimony by a lady named Karen Watson. Karen Watson went to Iraq right after the, the war in Iraq and during that time frame when there was a lot of uneasiness there. She goes over to Iraq with the Baptist Missionary Association. And she goes there to provide humanitarian aid because she loved the Lord. But while she was there in one of those large cities, there were a group of terrorists that came by with guns and bombs and grenade launchers and and they just unleashed it on these group of missionaries and evangelists that were there trying to minister to the people of Iraq. She was killed instantly. True story. She was killed instantly. Before she went on this mission trip, she had a feeling that she may lose her life on this trip. So she wrote a letter to her pastors. And the letter was only supposed to be opened, and she gave it to them. It was only supposed to be opened and read if she died while on this mission trip. That next Sunday morning, the pastor stood up and read this letter from Karen that she wrote before she went on the trip. I want to read a portion of it to you. Dear Pastor Phil and Pastor Roger, you should only be opening this letter in the event of my death. When God calls, there are no regrets. I tried to share my heart with you and my heart for the nations. I wasn't called to a place. I was called to Him. To obey was my objective. To suffer was expected. His glory is my reward. One of the most important things to remember right now is to preserve the work. I thank you all so much for your prayers and your support. Surely your reward in heaven will be great. Thank you for investing in my life and my spiritual well-being. Keep sending out missionaries. Keep raising up fine pastors. In regards to any service, talking about her funeral service, keep it small and simple. Yes, simple. And she said, at my funeral service, just preach the gospel. Be bold and preach the life-saving, life-changing, forever, eternal gospel. Give glory and honor to our Father. I once read in the missionary heart, care more than some think is wise. Risk more than some think is safe. Dream more than some think is practical. Expect more than some think is possible. I was called 
not to comfort or to success, but to obedience. There is no joy outside of knowing Jesus and serving Him. I love you too, my pastors, and I love my church family. I'm now in His care, Karen. Guys, do you realize as a result of the power of the resurrection, we are all called to engage in this counter-cultural mission to where all of us together are missionaries. All of us together are evangelists. I want to conclude in Luke chapter 24. Please turn back there if you will. They can come get a song of invitation ready. In Luke chapter 24, I want to pick up in verse number 10. Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, and the other women with them were telling the apostles these things. But these words seemed like nonsense to them. And they, they did not believe the women. And Peter, however, got up and he ran to the tomb. And when he stooped to look in, he saw only the linen clothes. And so he went home amazed at what had happened. Now that same day, two of them were on their way to the village called Emmaus, which was about seven miles from Jerusalem. And together they were discussing everything that had taken place. And while they were discussing and arguing, Jesus himself came near and began to walk along with them. But they were prevented from recognizing him. And then he asked them, What is this dispute that you're having with each other as you're walking? And they stopped walking and looked discouraged. And the one named Cleopas answered him, Are you the only visitor in Jerusalem who doesn't know the things that happened there in these days? What things, he asked them. So they said to him, The things concerning Jesus the Nazarene, who was a prophet, powerful in action and speech before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and leaders handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. We were hoping that he was the one who was about to redeem Israel. Besides all this, it's the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women from our group astounded us, and they arrived early at the tomb. And when they didn't find his body, they came and reported that they had seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. And some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said but they didn't see him. And he said to them, How unwise and slow you are to believe in your hearts all that the prophets have spoken. Didn't the Messiah have to suffer these things and enter into his glory? Then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, that Moses is the Pentateuch, first five books of the Old Testament. The prophets are the major minor prophets of the Old Testament. He unpacked the Old Testament, with these two disciples. And he interpreted for them the things concerning himself and all the scriptures. And they came near the village where they were going. And he gave the impression that he was going farther. But they urged him, stay with us, because it's almost over. So he went in and he stayed with them. And it was as he reclined at the table with them that he took the bread and he blessed it and he broke it. 
And he gave it to them. And then their eyes were opened and they recognized him. But he disappeared from their sight. So they said to each other, weren't our hearts ablaze within us while he was talking with us on the road and explaining the scriptures to us? Friends, just as Jesus came walking by these two disciples on the road to Emmaus, just as Jesus went to Peter, who was discouraged, and went back to his old profession of fishing and caught nothing and stood on the seashore and prepared a wonderful meal for his disciples, just as Jesus showed up on the road to Damascus and picked one of the vilest men of the culture, one of the meanest men of that culture, a murderer, and brought him unto himself. I want you to know he's walking by this morning. And just as Jesus called Peter by name, he's calling you by name. And he's asking you to be a part of his mission. He's asking you to know Him. He's inviting you to be part of this counter-cultural mission of spreading the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, beginning at home and ultimately around the world. But it starts when you say no to self and you say yes to Jesus. I wonder as every head is bowed and every eye is closed, I'm going to ask you to please stand if you can, if you would like, stand with us. I really don't know what your situation is here today. I don't know your background. I don't know where some of you are spiritually. But I do know this. There is a God who loves you. He gave His life for you. He died on the cross for you. He was buried. And He rose again for you. And on this Easter morning, I ask you this question. Do you know Him? Father, right now we commit this time of invitation to You. Lord, right now I just pray that You're speaking to hearts. I pray first of all for the believer that's here. That right now You would set them on fire for You. You would help us to walk counter-cultural to our world today, to the religions of our world today. Help us, God, to be on fire for you. Help us to be radicals for you. Help us, God, to live in your power, the power of the resurrection. Give us a desire, as the Apostle Paul had, that he would know of that power. May it change our lives forever. Father, I pray for the one here today that's never asked you into their heart and into their life. I pray that right now the Holy Spirit would do His work. And your word tells in John chapter 16 that the Holy's work is to convict the world of sin and judgment and righteousness. I pray right now, God, you do your work. Draw those individuals to you that don't know you. If you're here today and you've never accepted Jesus as your Savior, you just simply pray a prayer silently right now in your heart, something like this. Say, Dear God, I realize that I'm a sinner. I pray, God, you would forgive me of my sins. 
Come into my heart. Come into my life. Be my Lord and my Savior. I believe you're the Son of God. I believe you died for me. I believe you were buried. I believe you rose again. I don't understand it all, but I believe it. And right now, I pray you come into my heart and my life. Help me to establish a relationship with you. I repent of my sins. I trust you as my Savior. Friends, if you prayed that prayer right now, you've just accepted Christ as your Savior. On your connection card, there's a place for you to indicate a decision that you've made today for salvation. I pray right now you'd fill that out and drop it in our offering basket at the conclusion of the service. But maybe you're here you say, preacher, I've accepted Christ. But boy, I've just drifted afar. I'm like Peter standing way off in the crowd. I haven't really identified with Jesus lately. I pray you would just ask God to forgive you. The Bible says in 1 John 1, 9, that if we confess our sins, that he's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. If that's you, why don't you pray a prayer like this? Say, dear God, I'm your child. I've accepted you already by faith. But I've been walking afar from you. I want to be a radical for you. I want to rededicate my life to you. I want to recommit my life to you. This Easter morning, I'm going to start afresh. I'm going to start anew. I'm going to walk hand in hand with you. Right now, God, I give you my life. I rededicate my life to you. I pray you forgive me of my failure. Reestablish my feet. Set me on that straight and narrow path. Set me ablaze and on fire for you. Help me to live for you. In Jesus' name I pray. This morning as we prepare to sing this song of invitation, I don't know what your needs are this morning. If you've made any decision at all today, will you please indicate on your connection card right now while we sing and drop it in the offering basket. But while we are singing, I want you to know that I'm here to pray with you. Maybe you just need somebody to pray with you. I'm going to step down and I'll be here in the front while we sing. If you'd like to come forward, I'll be glad to pray with you. You don't have to come forward to make a decision. You can do that right there in your seat. But if you'd just like for somebody to pray with you, I'm here. If you say, boy, I just don't want to get up and go all the way to the front, then we've got men and women ready for you in the back. All you've got to do is step out and walk to the back. And we've got deacons, we've got spiritual leaders that are here in this church, we've got pastors that meet you there and pray for you if you don't want to come up front. We want to make it as easy as we can for you to come to Jesus. But we do invite you to come to Him. Maybe you want to make Victory Church your home church. Maybe you'd like to become a member and join Victory Church. Maybe you need to be baptized. Then speak with someone or indicate on your connection card. Let us know. Whatever your needs are today, we're here for you as we sing together. Thank you for joining us for this message from the Word of God. We know that the truth you have just heard will change your life, if you believe it and intentionally apply it. If you need someone to pray with, or maybe you just want someone to talk to, please call us at 618-622-9360. That's 618-622-9360. 
or you can email us at victory at victorychurchonline.net. That's victory at victorychurchonline.net. If you're interested in obtaining more teaching materials or if you'd like to partner with us in this ministry, please contact us. You can call, email, or send a request to 715 Lake Point Center, Suite 109 in O'Fallon, Illinois. Or come check us out on the web at www.victorychurchonline.net. And again, we thank you and are glad you could join us.